What's up, bitches? I'm Gaia. And I'm Mitha. And this is Bitch Why. Our podcast where we talk about all the things we like and dislike and why anyone would make them. We are simply a bunch of artsy bitches and we just want to know what makes art good and how to talk about it and what's going on. Ta-da! Let's start with some things we're snacking on. Uh, a snack is something that's feeding your little self. So what are you snacking on these days, Nita? Um, I'm snacking on Tom Felton's Instagram because he's so adorable on Instagram. Y'all, like, please go look. He found, like, fan cam Draco Malfoy fanfiction TikTok and his reactions to them are so funny and they are the only thing like giving me life he's like giving harry potter face masks away and like giveaways and stuff and he's just like a sweetheart and he's like got an acoustic guitar and he's like playing music it's so wholesome and sweet and truly is like getting me through It is getting me through. Every time I see one pop up on my feed, it just makes me really happy. And he's so adorable. And then also the song Pink Light by Muna. And that's, I don't know. It's just making me like feel things. Uh, I think those are my snacks. That was so quick. Wow. So efficient. Wham, bam, bam. Wham, bam, bam. Efficiency. Are we even recording? Yes, we. (laughs) Gaia, what are you snacking on? Okay, I was gonna say something dumb, and then I realized I have, like, a stupid intellectual one. That's- no, that's fine. So the people here at this farm are trying to culture me by playing classical music for me. They played this song called- it's not a song, I've been told. I'm not allowed to call them songs anymore. They're They're called called pieces. Oh, okay, I was gonna say- But if it's it's folk, it can be called tunes. Okay. Anyway. I don't know about all this, but we did listen to a piece called Lark Ascending, which I think is pretty mainstream in the classical world, but it was the first time I'd ever heard of it, and I did have, like, an emotionally transcendent experience listening to it. It sounded like a little bird flying, and it made me think about how the planet is dying, and also about how beautiful it is to be alive, and so, um, that's- Oh my god. I recommend it. Meanwhile, Um, I'm just like Tom Felton's Instagram. (laughs) I really need you to make a classical playlist for our listeners. The, like, difference between calling a song a piece and, like, a song reminds me of, like, the the pretentiousness in pronouncing it Midsummer or Midsommar. Um, Which one? I always say Midsommar because it's, I always say Midsommar, too. But, um, is that bad? No, because when I, but then I'm afraid like someone will think I'm dumb, so I say Midsommar. But then if I want someone to think I'm like chill, I say Midsummer. <laughs> oh, I like it depends on who I'm with. Because if I don't, I don't, if I don't want someone to think I'm pretentious, I'll say Midsummer. I feel like I like, I'm always, every time I say the name of the movie, I'm always kind of trying to like hit a happy medium where I could be feasibly either <laughs> saying, saying Midsommar or Midsummer. Midsummer, yeah. So it's something like Midsummer, Midsummer, Midsummer. Speaking of Midsummer, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about my man Ari Aster. Ari Aster, power hour, baby. His his cinematography. His cinema. You got it, Gaia. You did it. His work. His work. Are we gonna talk about the email now or later? We should do it now so we don't fucking forget. Okay, Hannah. Okay. 
Hannah, we've been meaning to talk about your email Hannah, for no less than like a month. Hannah, I truly am like so in love with you. You have no idea. Um, Hannah's been like replying to my Instagram stories, which like is just making me so happy. I was like, what if I just cut off all my hair and bleach it? And then she was like, yes. And I was like, I feel like I know you. Queen. Hannah's Hannah's a legend. Um, Hannah is the old, the person I've known longest in my whole life. That's so wild. So Hannah sent us an email exactly a month ago, and she kind of like bitch wide bitch why which was the most that was the coolest shit ever like ever ever um and and she wrote us a little essay it was she literally wrote us an essay and listen hannah don't ever apologize for writing an essay this is so beautiful i sometimes read it when i'm sad also when hannah talked about your friendship and like little memories they have with you gaia it made me so soft um Uh, we were baby together so cute. Anna and I have run away together several times. This email is so lovely. We don't have time to read all of it because it's so long. Um, But the main points of it were like, Hannah loves the show and is wondering what our audience is and kind of like bitch why us. And we wonder that too. We were actually asked about that in an interview too. And we both were like, <laughs> I still don't know. Your love was like, what's your audience? And we're like, ah. Uh. uh our friends <laughs> like hi uh, friends hi friends like four people and then like the guys on hinge i send the podcast to <laughs> yeah um actually didn't yeah. someone one of your friends has been sending the podcast so that is hannah's friend <laughs> also a lovely person who i've met a couple times i um, love that not, i don't know if enough times that we're friends we're friends we're friends they send have, it to their dates. I have so many, like, my ex-boyfriend's friends listen to the podcast. <laughs> Legendary. So wild. And um, that's on being prolific. And that's <laughs> and that's on, like, transcending, like, the trauma of your past. Oh my god, speaking of the trauma of your past, I keep talking about Midsummer and then not talking about it yet. Um, Hannah was asking what our audience was. Um, wondering if, like, how we're trying to not just, like, speak into an echo chamber and, like, how can we make this show accessible? Um, what does that look like? And it just, like, gave us so much to to think on and it was so lovely and truly, like, uh, we say this all the time, but we'd make the podcast if no one listened, but it just makes me so happy that, like, people like you, Hannah, are listening and I want to cry. Anyway... Anna, your brain is huge. So huge, so wrinkly. Yeah, I'm gonna do the roadmap for the folks who 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 are simply for the first time stumbling across bitch why welcome and hello. Our episodes are made up of four parts. They're always made up of four parts, except for that one time we covered Taylor Swift. Uh, bitch what? An introduction to what we're talking about. Bitch how? A technical rundown of how it succeeds and fails as a piece of art. Bitch time, three minutes where we're not allowed to be smart, we're not allowed to be intelligent, we're not allowed to have any wrinkles in our brain. Smooth brain hours. And we talk about our feelings. And finally, bitch why? A sum up of the implications and why all of it matters. Why anything matters. And the beach meter, which is our diversity score meter. Meter. We just did some math to give it to you. It just evaluates how diverse we think the movie is. It's not necessarily an indicator of quality, but sometimes it's a correlator of quality. Yeah. It's time for Bitch What. (laughs) 
But first, how did you discover? Okay, I was in an acting conservatory over the summer, um, like three summers ago or something, and uh, we had no time to ourselves, like literally ever, except for like in the middle of the night, we'd all go hang out. So my friend Lucas and I, hi Lucas, if you're listening, and we were like, fuck it, like it's Friday night, let's go watch a scary movie, because he and I like love scary movies. So we went, we watched it, Hereditary, and we were like holy shit like this movie fucked me up and like we were so freaked out by it not because it was like terrifying but because it was like it just put me in like a weird place psychologically that we were like afraid to walk to the car literally just like wow the same thing happened to me with the movie it follows and i've never felt that way in a scary movie ever after like i'm just being like i feel fucked up like do you feel a little fucked up and it was like just the weirdest thing and there's something that's like so visceral about that movie i think midsummer is better but like hereditary still like does hit like a weird it does shit yeah it does it does stuff to you in a different way okay how did you get into hereditary and midsummer this is sinful i watched them for the first time this week both of them yeah oh no Oh my goodness. It's, it's fine. I've been meaning to watch them ever since my King Jordan Peele endorsed Midsommar. I was like, that's it. Like, Jordan Peele is the only person who should ever be allowed to make horror movies, but I guess Ari Aster has rights. And um, it was a great time. Amazing. I have seen Midsommar four times in quarantine like i watched it with Liv once because she had never seen it so we were like texting the whole time and like watching her like listening to her reactions was super fun um i watched it with my friend katie i watched it alone i like literally have watched midsummer like so many times uh during this pandemic you want to sum up hereditary for our listeners so hereditary uh is the story of a family a family with a history of mental illness and their experience of the grief of losing their grandmother figure and then the grief of losing um a child and that grief turns into some supernatural and cult-like happenstances um, so it talks a lot about generations and um grief. How many times can I say grief in this description? Take a shot every time. Um, guys and it's says grief. somewhat spooky. Little spooky. I would say just a little bit. There are ants in it. That's the other thing. Oh. <laughs> um, Midsommar is about a woman Danny who is in like a weirdly weird emotionally manipulative and weird relationship with a man take a shot every time i say weird with a white man named christian the symbolism of that uh anyway we should have cameron bleep out white man (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes yeah we should um so she's she's dating this who's like just not super into the relationship anymore and he's probably about to break up with her but then danny's sister (laughs) does a murder suicide with her parents and herself using oh my god the way that she does that is literally the most intense thing that is such a visceral and fucked up image that like has remained (gasps) yeah i think ari aster puts visuals in your brain and then you're they live in your head rent free forever so that happens then he's like fuck i can't break up with her 
relationship we'll talk about the relationship but like so so then he's he you know a couple weeks later a couple months later i think um he's planning a trip to sweden uh with his friends because one of them lives in a commune over there and uh danny's like i'll go can i go she kind of invites herself slash like it's really weird and then they go and then no he invites her but in a weird way yeah she's like i uh, yeah it's really gross um and then (laughs) Uh, they, like, trip balls for half the movie until everyone gets, like, murked, and then, uh, Florence Pugh is the only one still alive, uh, and then there's, like, some weird infidelity, there's, like, a weird potion with menstrual blood, uh, and, uh, Chidi from The Good Place dies. This gets sewn into a bear, and then, um, he gets caught on fire, and it's lovely, and it's so good. Okay, anyway, let's get into Bitch Howl. Bitch Howl. There's a lot of things that are that are like living in both of these movies. Um, one of them is like the act of women grieving on screen. There's a term for that sound that they both make. Like it's like Tony Collette and Florence Pugh. First of all, like first of all, like our powerhouse actresses, like just absolutely fantastic. But that sound, like, is a sound we all know, and I think it, it's called keening. It's like that that like mm-hmm. s- scream where like nothing else is in your brain except that that like cry and it's so unbelievably powerful but something that I have been thinking about and was mulling over with my friend Jackie is why can Ari Aster do that with a man though? And I w- I would like to see because these are like his two big movies, right? Like this like Midsommar is his sophomore film which is like amazing like that's fucking wild that like these two very very good movies um have come out in succession and like deal with like kind of the same thing within a year of each other within a year of each other and like i feel like hereditary was a little less solid and like midsommar really like got to to hammer like the rest of those ideas in better but like you you couldn't have one without the other which i just really love um but But I think, yeah, so, but, like, that idea is, like, my question about that is, like, that's a sound we've all heard. That's a sound I've I've made. Like, that's a sound people make when they grieve. It's so real. It's all, it's actually, like, too real and happens for an uncomfortably, like, long amount of time in both movies, which is, like, cool that they make you sit with it because grief is, like, uncomfortably long. But I'm wondering if it, like, plays into trauma porn of just, like, watching women cry like that like there's like some catharsis that like happens I think catharsis that like Harris and I were talking about last week of like going through the motions of the horror movie there's definitely more catharsis in Midsommar but just because of how it ends for our final girl but like is it like a true catharsis or am I just watching trauma porn and I'm I I'm I'm leaning towards more of the catharsis place but I that is something that popped into my head on this last watch of it this last go of it yeah. One of the things that most two things about like just this physical sound of crying. I think in Midsummer especially we have to talk about the sound mm-hmm. design. Mm-hmm. But um one of my favorite moments in Hereditary is the moment when you are looking at a close up of Peter's face 
while his mother goes and discovers his sister's body and then starts screaming and then you see a series of shots in progression but a continuous scream over all of them yeah as if she's been screaming non-stop for like the entire time and it is quite hefty i think ari aster really gets transitions the way no one else does. Mm. Like, his... Every single <sighs> transition... Either the transition in the movie is, like, totally seamless and, like, completely... Like, completely does not disrupt at all. Totally. Or is so graphic and intriguing that you can't help but go, like, ooh. Like, in Midsommar, um, the way it's cut is it almost feels like the sun never sets. Mm. Um, Like, there's, like, several days where it's, like, you never see a night shot. You just see, like, light and light and light and light and light. And that's, like, so intriguing. Well, because in that place where they are at, the sun never sets. So it's, like, the, yeah. for the sun, for that part of the... Exactly. So it, it's cool that in the movie he, like, was able to recreate that in the span of the film. Yeah, exactly. But then, so... Sexy of Ari Aster to be doing transitions the way he's doing. Keep that up, my king. The other, like, screaming moment I wanted to talk about is the transition in Midsommar from Florence Pugh, Danny is her character's name, um, constantly, like, holding herself back from crying and crying silently into screaming with a bunch of women, which is, like, the most important thing that's ever happened to me <laughs> in my life. Yeah. I have a lot of feelings about crying as a form of thing. And I've been doing a lot of silent crying recently. Um, and that's not that good, folks. Cry with all the sounds that you have inside of you. Yes. The ability to show, like, having to, like, carry your grief along with someone else's feelings about your grief mm. and, like, dealing with that and like trying not to be like a burden on people is so well shown in midsummer like every single moment is like danny trying to be the person like the people around her wants her to be the person who's like the most palatable to them as a grieving person like someone who's handling things well mm -hmm. and throughout the movie we kind of like are asking ourselves questions about like what does it mean to handle grief well what like, how do, how do we handle death? Like, societally, what assumptions do we make about death? Um, culturally, what assumptions do we make about death? And in the end, when she's finally allowed to, like, express everything she's been holding up, it's, like, a really beautiful moment of catharsis for all these questions we've been kind of continually asking throughout the film. I think it's sexy. So in, there's this episode of My Favorite Murder, and I will try to find it, where, like, Karen is talking about a story um, where a father, like, on the news finds out that his daughter was, like, raped and murdered. Like, the newscaster wanted to get it on, like, tape, like, that she got, because she had the, like, she got the scoop first and, like, wanted to be the one to tell him. And him, the way he, like, breaks down, like, he literally starts keening. And I think that this isn't, like, a Latin American country. I cannot remember this story at all. I just remember that the daughter, like, they couldn't find her, and then they found out that's what happened. And he's, like, literally starts keening, and his body is, like, racked with sobs. And he, like, lets himself feel all of that versus, like, I feel like in, in, like, more Western culture, we don't do that shit. Like, we will not burden, like, God forbid we burden each other with our grief. 
and 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 then like you see him a couple weeks later on the news again like for the funeral or something and his body does look lighter like that's something that like karen said was like even though he's grieving and he's still grieving there was something about that release that did bring some relief and i think there's so much we hold in our bodies all the time that like it's all just like truly like dying to come out and like the the letting of that is so important it this reminds me can i tell like a really quick weird story freshman year over winter break i went snowboarding with my dad and we were on the longest ski lift in colorado and we were sitting there with a group of other people and one of the other people on the lift got a phone call Mm -hmm. and he said oh oh my god like that's crazy oh my god i okay i'll call you i'll call you when i hit the top Mm. of the lift i'm i'm sorry oh my god and the person he's with turned to him and was like hey what was that all about and he's like i'll tell you when we get to the top of the lift and she's like no i need you to tell me right now and he said claire killed herself she's dead and the woman just started screaming and she screamed for the entire way she was keening the entire way up the mountain and we were right there next to her as she like got that first wave of grief oh. it was it was one of the most intense like experiences of my life um are we going to like talk about this as if we're like complimenting aria or are you just going to talk about the film oh okay you know what actually my friend Jackie. Hi, Jackie. You better listen to this because Hi, I'm Jackie. talking about you so much. Um, <laughs> but Jackie and I were talking about this movie and they said that in the onset, like what they had heard was that like Ari Aster was like not a dick, kind of in the way a lot of in Hollywood are like total dicks when they are on set, like filming their their movies. Um, and Ari Aster is like a very quiet, like introverted dude who wrote like and like people he like gave the script to people people were like should we be worried about this man like is he good because he like literally wrote all of this stuff like all this stuff came out of his brain but he was so chill on set he was like very calm but had like uprooted so much shit for these for these films and i think like something that i really admire about the scripting and about the way that these stories are told is that they're able to capture those moments of keening those moments that show you that like grief grief hits you whenever grief doesn't care if you're in the airplane bathroom or like in a very beautiful field or on a ski lift like grief does not give a fuck where you are And something that I really loved is that he was able to, like, mine of his own life, like, the, like, the very toxic relationship moments that I'm, like, we've all been in that relationship, or you've talked a friend out of being in that relationship, or you were, uh, the not-so-great person at the, like, you know, like, it's, that's, that nugget, and then, like, embedded it into a story that has nothing to do with him. Same with Hereditary of, like, this family trauma this one nugget and then everything has nothing else to do with him versus like a marriage story which was noah bombeck's like self-insert fanfic you know about his divorce and and like once upon a time in hollywood which is like quentin tarantino's like self-insert bullshit nonsense and i really admire the ability to capture the unique specific thing 
that like people will feel like because we talk about them playwriting all the time is like if you go if you get real specific people will be like that's my mom <laughs> but but um mm-hmm. but then the the ability to be like this isn't about me and like f- like really mean it and I think that is really cool because it's just not something I see from a lot of like directors bleep it um (laughs) something i think aster does really well is i think horror movies um often play off of your mirror neurons Mm. which is is like when you see someone get like chainsawed in a horror movie you like kind of feel it in your body a little bit and like part of what makes horror movies interesting is that you've your brain is trying to feel the feelings of the mm. characters as they're. Oh my god, that's felt. literally what Harris and I were talking about. But I think Ari Aster is able to play off this in a really interesting way, which is like what I think a lot of what the horror movie horror industry is doing in kind of a subversive way, which is to create that mirror neuron sensation, but with grief. Mm. Um. So like the feeling that you get after watching Peter right after he's killed his sister. And, like, understanding what that would feel like. And, like, feeling that in all of its intensity. Yeah. Was very impactful. Yeah. I think less so in Midsommar because the death was... Or or no, but, like, the, the feeling of, like, being worried about someone and then all of your worst fears being confirmed. And, like, you feel that. Um, that... I think this is a really interesting subversion of the horror genre, and I think he's taking advantage of horror as a form in order to, like, say those things he's trying to say about trauma, mm-hmm. which is very sexy. Yeah. And there, there's a there's a bunch of different ways which I think he does the horror form, like, real sexy. Something that I was thinking about a lot after Hereditary is that the first half of Hereditary has, like, an extremely classic horror score. Yeah. It, like, sounds like a horror movie, but it doesn't feel like a horror movie. It's just, like, a grief movie. And then the second half of the movie has, like, a very quiet score and a lot of melodic moments, but it feels like a horror movie. My king, he really gets juxtaposition being used to, like, hit things home. But, and also, like, the scariest stuff is the stuff that can actually happen to you, which is that his, you could, you could, your sister could be hanging her head out of a window, and you could drive her into a pole, like, and that's scarier than, like, this, like, demon payment nonsense, which I... I like I think that's that's the kicker for a lot of people uh, who saw Hereditary because also the the marketing really fucked that movie over which was really sad because it was it was marketed as like a straight horror like terrifying film and people were like it's the scariest thing since The Shining or whatever. If someone tells you something is the scariest thing from The Shining, don't listen to them because that's everybody says that about every new horror movie. Just like watch it like and make it up for yourself whether or not you thought it was scary. I feel like Horror is incredibly objective, like... Subjective? Horror is very subjective. I was looking at you and saying words, and then I got lost in your eyes, and I couldn't remember the right word. Anyway, so so people... The kicker for a lot of people was, like, this, like, cult at the end um, being, like, the thing. And then also, did you notice that, like, in the cult, it's, like, the kids that Peter smokes weed with, and, like, one of his teachers is, like, one of the people... And, like, in the cult at the end, there are so, yeah, there are so many people, like, who've been living in their life the whole time that end up being a part of that cult, which, like, then people start to dissect the movie and be like, 
okay, but, like, how was the grandma supposed to know that, like, all of this was going to fall in place, blah, 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 blah. And I feel like that just makes the movie a little more messy in terms of, like, structure versus, 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 versus Midsummer, which is just a little more clean in execution. Um... But they both, like, really deal with grief. Like, Ari Aster, like, n- understands grief and, like, trauma. Like, he just fucking gets it. Yeah. Something, like, in the line of Hereditary, something we were talking about a lot after watching this, was the idea that Hereditary felt like it was a lot about uh, mental illness and, like, and hereditary mental mm-hmm. illness. Um, <laughs> and... There is something kind of Oedipus-y about um, the mom trying to process everything the right way and, like, trying to, have like, be mentally stable and, like, grieve in the mm. right way and, like, kind of ending up trapped in this, these series of twists of fate that ended up putting her in the same situations that her schizophrenia family members were in. And in many ways, like, that is what hereditary mental illness is, is, like, mental illness is something that happens to you no matter how hard you try for it not to happen to you and so there is something kind of sexy and i i said oedipusy because oedipusy um or mcbethany oedipusy (laughs) um there is something really intriguing about um the winds of fate aligning exactly right so that even if you do everything right everything can go wrong that's so scary. Yeah. That's scarier mm-hmm. than demon cult seance. Ultimately, like, the demon cults are not the villain in either of these movies. Like, they're Stop. not. Stop. I love okay. how in Midsommar, like, the cults actually magic stuff isn't real versus in Hereditary, the magic is real. And it's actually yeah. scarier when they're like, don't worry, this plant will make you feel no pain. And then you see him screaming because it's not real. Like, that's scarier to me. Yeah. Um, anyway, what were you going to say? I was going to say the cult in Midsommar was right. And I felt very calm while watching They're Like, there are two groups of people when you watch Midsommar. Either people who think that a uh, Christian getting sewn into a bear and set on fire uh, was overkill, and then the people who are right uh, <laughs> think that he deserved it. Um, and it's so fun to watch that movie with a who like doesn't get it, and then you're watching it, and you're like, yes. And then the guy is just like, are, uh, uh, are you, uh, are you okay? Like, um, I think that that act of feeling soothed is like. I feel like this movie is trying to, like, answer the question, why do people join cults? And because you, like, have to be, like, the people who do join cults or, like, susceptible to joining cults are ones who have, like, dealt with family loss or, like, are in a place where they, like, literally have nothing else to, like, go to. And I think, like, Danny, like, going through this situation with, like, a bunch of people who, like, have no empathy for her, like, all these men around her just, like, don't give a fuck about her. You actually never see anyone who does support her until you get to the cult. So you kind of get, like, you. we are all indoctrinated into the cult by the end of the movie because we side with Danny joining the cult because we also feel, like, we understand why she does it. And I think that's, like, really scary that the movie, like, makes you on the side of the cult that murdered everybody around her. 
but it is also the first time anyone empathized with her. Also, when Christian is like, when Christian is holding her when she's keening, he's like not looking at her. He's like staring mm-hmm. straight ahead. Um, and like he never makes eye contact with her. He often like puts her hand, puts his hand on her shoulder in like a weird way, like how you would like keep an animal at bay. Yeah. Like he, he like, he does not ever like connect with her in a way that like everyone in the cult eye co- like direct eye contact like perfect posture the way everyone else like sits is like really like they're just leaning they're like doing whatever but like everyone in the cult is so like i am everything is laser focused on you and i think like you feel that like in there Ugh. one of the lines that like really hit that i've been like thinking about since watching Mudsumar was does he make you feel held <laughs> Stop. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, so here's the thing. Obviously, I do not condone um ritual sacrifice. <laughs> um nope. That being said, like I think there there's something quite lovely about the way that the people in the cult express ex- affection for each other, like openly and um rapturously. And the way that they view death and, like, life as a cycle. I think Midsommar, the cult in Midsommar, well, maybe not. I, we we should talk about whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing. It would be possibly a really great way for some Westerners to dip their toe into the idea of people having different um, concepts of death and of life and of mm. intimacy um, without mm-hmm. having to, like, leave the Western world. So, like, basically, like, they get to see white people having the experiences that people of color <laughs> all around the world have. Um, Tea! And, and in some, and so the cult is, like, kind of the villain in the movie, which is why I'm not sure if it's necessarily a good thing that they have so many things that I think are neat. But th- there were a lot of disconcerting moments. But that movie felt very much like a moving, a movie that was, like, moving towards healing and, like, mm. in that way, it made me feel held. I mean, she, the only time she smiles is at the very end. Mm-hmm. Like, and you kind of smile with her. Mirror neurons! You kind of smile with her. The part where she's, like, talking to Christian and, and like, they say that, like, that girl's boyfriend left her. And then Danny goes, I could see you possibly doing that. Yeah. I was like, girl, oh my god. But, like, and their fights are so small. Like, it's little, little, little things. But you you see, you see, and also she sees those people jumping off the cliff. But, and, like, that's horrifying and terrifying and, and she's in shock. But what she also sees around her is everybody writhing in agony with that man. And, like, at least those deaths were expected, unlike her family's deaths, which were completely unexpected. And I think something about that was, like, calming for her i also think like it in the line her in her sister's suicide note she writes something along the lines of like we're going into the black um and there there's something really awful and terrifying about like the idea of like her taking her family into a dark empty place scary place and she goes to a really light place well but not just that like in midsummer like the people in the cult are like they when they're dying they're just being reborn into a new person like there's mm-hmm. like death for them isn't um going into a scary dark place 
it is like just a continuation of like the movement of the universe that that's like intriguing and is probably comforting in some ways and i don't know is it a good thing to have a way of thinking about life and death that is easy to find solace in I think it makes the grieving process easier. I mean, I think that's, like, why people have religion, no? Like... Yeah. Like, yeah. that's why people have religion. I guess, like... Because then, yeah. Like, I think, in some ways, if you feel like life is, like, infinite, and you're there to be, like, to feel things as a part of a group of people who you love and who love you, um, then it's easy to live fearlessly because you know that, like, everything you do is just, like, a hug. I mean, the thing that humans need to survive is community above most other things. And I think, like, now we're just, like, defending cults. But, like... (laughs) Yeah, we're like, cults are valid, actually. Cults are fine, actually. Cults are fine. But, I I mean, it is another form of finding purpose. Um, And for us, I think that's art making, because the people we found in art making is our cult oh my god okay the making Um, of art is so culty like the making of theater is basically just like all of us having emotional experiences together and processing shit that's true so who are we to say the cult in midsummer is bad everything is cults though like think about it everything everything is cults like um disney people cults that's a cult that's a place of, like, where you find community and, I mean, I guess maybe the term cult, what is the, what is the specific definition of the word cult? A cult is a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. I guess the connotation around the word cult is bad, um, but most religions start as cults. Yeah, um, I- Scientology is gonna go from being a cult to a religion within the next, like, 50 years or something very exciting for them i hope they don't do that but um no that's fine the real cult there is capitalism but that's very sexy enough about that yeah i just like think that the things this movie had to say about processing and the way westerners don't know how to process is the sexiest take of the week at least yeah i mean that's what i said at the top was like god forbid you burden someone with your grief and like there's so much we hold ourselves from hold ourselves back from doing that if we just didn't do like if we just like felt the things we we were feeling uh the world would be better maybe if we just killed our asshole boyfriends Bleep then it. maybe we'd be happy and be able to process our trauma <laughs> do um uh, do you want to get into into bitch time it's bitch time It's bitch time. This is where we have three minutes of just no no thinky thoughts. No good thoughts. All bad thoughts. Just brain no thoughts, doing stupid stuff. Alright, ready? Go! I think Florence Pugh is sexy, and I want her to tenderly hold me. My f- my favorite moment of the sex scene um is when one that one that lady like touches like moves his butt. <laughs> And he's just like helping him thrust. And then also when she like reaches her hand 
back or whatever. And and he's like, oh, you want to hold my hand, like, during sex? Like, how people do... And, and she's actually reaching behind for, like, a woman to hold her hand. And I just was like, man, Christian's really just getting <laughs> wrecked yeah, in this moment. Literally, fuck him. Also, fuck Mark. Is that his name? I wrote down Michael. Yeah. I... It's you Mark. know what? I, think I really Mark. think... I think, like, certain names should be retired like football jersey numbers yeah you can't have <laughs> so them anymore so, yeah i was like stop naming people michael and mark like those names are so i'm so it's sorry it's tough to i can imagine being named podcast. that that's just setting you up for failure that's really that's so awful um why that's did cool. i write cult viagra cult i don't know viagra. what that means oh I don't that's know what the that potion oh the potion <laughs> thank it's you for viagra. helping me figure that out um, um classic. <laughs> Cult Viagra. Classic. I also wrote, what if we kissed outside the Midsommar pyramid while uh, my ex-boyfriend in a bear suit burns inside? <laughs> oh? Are you allowed to be a lesbian in the cult? I don't think so. I think they'd be upset with that. Really? I think that they'd let you do it, but then they'd be like, you still gotta get pregnant, though. Yeah. I don't know. I liked their pretty outfits, and I wanted them all to be wearing the pretty outfits the whole time. Do you notice, like, how the men talk to each other in both of these movies? Like, like, Mark, my, Mark is like, we're gonna go to Sweden and get all these girls pregnant. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, why and do they do I mean, he, then he literally does. But, like, oh my god, when she's like, I can feel the baby. I was like, bitch, shut up, please. This movie please. is pro-life. <laughs> um, um, and then, like, in Hereditary, those guys are like, don't forget to bring your dick to a, the party, man. Yeah. And I was like. Ari, no, okay. Ari, the sir, scene can you underneath no, the bleachers? Oh, the scene underneath the bleachers where they're like, "Do you see her Facebook status update?" I was like, "What's happening?" Like, what do you think the teens are talking about these days, Ari? <laughs> King, Ari, I am begging you, Ari, ask her to please just get a TikTok and then transcribe some of that dialogue, sir, because like this is a please. mess. Please, King, um, like. Like, you may get trauma, but you do not get the youths of today. You don't get the youths. Um, TikTok is a language we all can speak, just like grief, my guy. That was it. That was three minutes. Oh. That was so fast. Our heads were so empty that it felt like nothing. That's true. I felt really good that whole time. (laughs) Yeah, that's the first time we've truly had no thoughts in, like, a while. It's because I had the the thoughts beforehand to write notes of all the funny things I wanted to say. You have to write down your no thoughts thoughts. I had to write down my no thoughts thoughts. <laughs> the fact that you're not a Virgo is a crime against nature. Literally, it really is. Like I'm such a I'm such a Virgo. Not even a rising or moon. There's no Virgo in my chart at all. Not at all. Maybe it's the absence of Virgo. That shows mm. the presence of Virgo. I am a Gemini rising, so I make no sense. Like, nothing about me matches aesthetically with You're anything else about me. So, Despite yeah, not being a Virgo, you are a Virgo. I am a Virgo. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Shall <laughs> we get into it? <laughs> let's, get into, let's get into bitch why. This is where we talk about the impact and, like, what the implications of this movie the are. The implications. 
I guess the first one is, like, what does Ari Aster have against disabled people? Yeah, Ari, what the fuck, bro? Bro. In Midsommar, I was just like, why did you even include this? Uh, yeah, it's it, su- it feels like such an old school uh, trope of horror, be- where where the movie itself, like, both of these movies feel like they're really, like, doing new shit with the, with the genre, or, 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 like, rehashing old stuff and making it really like so much better and this felt just like something that should have been left on on the cutting floor is that the right term left on the cutting room floor of cutting room floor yeah i was like this can this doesn't because there's so much writing on like quote-unquote freaks in horror and like trans people in horror and like the implications of that and like the other like monsters specifically and like also like women in horror like there's so much that I just was like you are pulling from this thing that like we don't need to be seeing anymore and it doesn't make any sense and I guess like the in hereditary I think like it plays off of like oh, you think that the little girl is, like, automatically creepy because she does that, like, thing, and then, like, mm-hmm. you think that she's gonna be the possessed thing halfway through, and then the the cop-out, the cop-out, the, like, subversion is that she's not, she just, like, dies. And that's, like, you know, kids are already creepy. Like, creepy kids are already a thing in horror. I just was like, what is this? Like, I don't get why that's that's a part of it and i think that there is a way to include disabled people in horror movies like that is definitely totally allowed but i think like making them mystical or magical or creepy um is not the way to do that i think in midsommar it was like his way of signaling (gasps) that the cult that everyone seemed that like up until then you can kind of vibe with a little bit Mm -hmm. is actually bad him being like, oh yeah, we have enforced incest so that we can have disabled children. Which is just kind of like an icky plot device, but like... But then okay, he's also like a magical being. Like, they make him do... Uh, yeah, he's like their like, um, god. I don't know, it was distaste. It was in yeah, poor taste. Distaste, it's, in, it's in poor taste, I agree. It's definitely in poor taste. It's just like really weird. I don't know if it's necessarily like... Well, I, maybe a little malicious. I would say it's a little malicious. I think I think like the the lack of interrogation about it in both movies is malicious because like him just assuming I mean here's the thing is like where Ari Aster where I like hesitate to be like, does Ari Aster have rights? And I wanna say yes because he does so much good in this horror genre. But this is like such a it's just such an odd thing that I'm like yeah. It's a little thing, but you're like, really, Ari? Yeah, like really Ari? Like that's you know, I'm surprised, and this is the thing about, like, anything in Hollywood, like, I am surprised that that got through in the final, like, versions of the script. hmm Like, yeah. how many people did that have to go through to get there? Yeah. Intriguing. I have two thoughts. Like, one being, like, it just makes you realize how, like, few advocates there are for disabled mm. people in Hollywood. I mean, I remember, so I saw a show at our school once, and there was, like, a line in it that was transphobic. And I remember watching that, and my thought wasn't, like, oh, everyone here is transphobic. My thought was, like, oh, wow, like, there are, like, 30 to 40 people working on this show, and nobody 
noticed or cared enough to say anything about it. And that's something that I gotta experience. So that's a sad thing. The 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 weird plot point about like Charlie being trans or like like I should have been born oh, a boy. Oh yes. Something about the demon can only enter the form of a male. So Yeah. The I don't know, it's just weird and gender essentialisty, but like not it really because like yeah. it's a cult. It is yeah, it's it's I would that mm, I don't wanna put that at less value of like confusing or like not interrogated but i'm wondering how much of like demonology lore that's about but also like i get that it's because you it's a what it's trying to do is it's trying to fake you out because you think that like charlie's gonna be the thing um and then there's like alluding to uh tony collette's brother who went create like he had psychosis um, it was just the mom trying to, like, get him possessed, and then he killed himself. So then you think that it's gonna go in Charlie, but then because it could never go in Tony Collette, and it couldn't go in Charlie, it has to go into Peter. So, yeah, from a journey arc standpoint, it's trying to fake you out. But yeah, that is an interesting thing I didn't think about. I mean, it's, and it's also, like, there's something cool about, like, it having to travel through multiple bodies. Like, mm-hmm. he has to be possessed by Charlie and then possessed by Payman. I think that's funny. Yeah. I like, like that. And, and you think it's over and then it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's kind of neat. I don't know. I just, like, was thinking about it the whole time. When they first, when she first brought it up, I was like, oh, is this going to be, like, a story about a trans child? Um, but I should never imagine that to occur. <laughs> Um, because it simply would not. I'm wondering what a horror movie around a trans child looks like. Intriguing. And I think that that would be really cool. Horror movies involving trans people, but instead of trans people being the villains, they get to, like, just hang. Yes. I think what's interesting is that this movie has, like, no jump scares. Like, both of them don't have any jump scares. And instead, the scary thing is sitting in the corner of the frame. And what's mm-hmm. scary is, like, when you finally see it, like, when Tony Collette is, like, sitting there in the corner, I fucking screamed uh, the first time. And then, like, in Midsommar, you see so There's so many moments of, like, the parents... The parents' faces are, like, in the crowd. It's, like, so mm-hmm. quietly scary. Um... In a way that I think that, like, I mean, jump scares are super fun if you just want to, like, have a get, like, a have a, get a little spooked. But, like, those images live in my brain rent-free, which I just think is really cool. I did want to say that for some reason, because these movies are so juxtaposed in color scheme, um, but are so similar in theme, people are like, are you a midsummer or a hereditary? Um... And, and like, it's, like, become a thing now where, like, these movies are, like, pit against each other. Um, our friend Phil, who, Philip, who listens to the podcast. Dang, what's poppin', Phil? He, he sent us, um, like, his, his argument for why Hereditary is better, and I told him I'd read it on the pod. But he was, like, the storytelling in Hereditary is superior, Midsommar is predictable, you all know they're gonna die because the, they suck. <laughs> And then he said, and in no moment does Midsommar even come close to the dinner scene in Hereditary. Um, then he said, Tony Collette, in, like, all caps. Um, but And he said Midsommar is a kick-ass movie, but compared to Hereditary, not on my watch. Um, I, I, 
Uh, I think. I don't. Here's know. what I think. Okay. I have a coherent thought about why I. So I, when I watch movies for the pod, I often one of the things that I'm really like thinking about is like what questions is this making me ask about the world and how well does it like follow through on those questions how far does it interrogate those questions Mm -hmm. and I think Midsommar is asking more complicated questions and following those questions through further into a darker place than Hereditary I think Hereditary is maybe better like as a as like like from a screenwriting perspective hereditary might have some merit that midsummer doesn't like i do agree like it's a lot less predictable but from a thematic juicy storytelling moment midsummer gets itself better yeah does predictable equal bad i don't think so i think like i knew that this is a murder cult from the top the second they're in it they're all wearing white and flower crowns and i was like this is a horror movie in the middle of the day i was like everyone's gonna get murked and like and like but i wasn't i wasn't i was still stressed out like the way that they all got murdered the fucking blood eagle with the dude yeah that's the ah like that is so that's so much and so like the way it happens was still surprising even though i definitely knew that like everyone's gonna get murdered this is one of the things Hadestown seeks to explore. <gasps> um, we'll oh have to God. talk about Hadestown on the Hades pod at some point. Town. But one of the things they say in Hadestown is, you know the end to this story. And yeah. they do the story exactly as is. Yeah, and you're and still hoping against hope that that does not happen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of stories. Like, Stand By Me is one of my favorite movies ever. And Stand By Me... The kids are like, we were, we're going to go find a body. And then they go and find the body. I, I don't think predictable means bad. Yeah, there's something sexy about, like, saying what you're going to do and then doing it. And then being able to fully stand on your own merit as a piece of art. Like, I think one of the big problems with um, not as much film writing, but tele- film, like, franchise writing and television writing mm. is people feel like in order to be good, they need to, like, plot twist you and, yeah. like, do something unexpected that the audience never could have guessed. But mm-hmm. something that I think is fun about movies is when they're so thematically cohesive that you experience it and everything that happens feels like it just was supposed to happen. Next. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh my god. That, yes, yeah. And I think I think Hereditary suffers a little bit in that because so many people, and I'm not, like, going based off of, like, okay, well, everyone thought it was bad, so I think it's bad. But a lot of people were, like, incredibly thrown off by that last ten minutes of the movie where it, where it really becomes, like, a scare fest with a yeah. demon cult because the whole time you're, like what the fuck is happening, what the fuck is happening, what the fuck is ha- Like, and, and you never know where the movie is going, but I think because of that, it took, like, a year for people to sit in the movie Hereditary and be like, oh, this is really about grief. This is really about this. And then being informed by a watch of Midsommar, going back and watching Hereditary, you're like, oh, all the things that Ari Aster... I mean, it's talking about some of the same things, just just like re-meditating on those concepts and like making it better and i think that like that's a great learning 
journey to to be able to have the privilege of getting to see. Yes. That's it. That's the why. Um, Make sexy movies and grow as an artist. And grow as an artist. And, like, people should be allowed to grow as an artist. I feel like so many times, I mean, I think, like, as as people of color and queer people, we're always like, oh, my God, this is my big break and I better not fuck it up. Um, And, like, get to, like, make mistakes. Not that Hereditary was a mistake, but, like, yeah, there's definitely, like, fear surrounding the, like, I can't make something that's, like, not at its perfect, most perfect point but like that's never gonna happen the first time yeah yeah tea uh tea. that's on Amazing. period that's one period um let's get a, let's get our right. bitch meter out in the open our bitch meter we have two bitch meters because there's two movies we should do hereditary first because chronology bitch meter is when we rank the thing on inclusivity and um, how it represents uh, things that are so commonly misrepresented in movies. What do we give it for queer? Not applicable. Didn't even Amazing. touch it. Didn't even touch it. Uh, for gender, we gave Hereditary a two. Um, because, like, there's, uh, I guess there's, like, women in it. <laughs> uh, Tony Collette has, like, a great, her great acting moment. Maybe uh, we should give it a higher score because it does a good job with its women. It's one woman. Oh, and then also, like, Charlie, and then... The daughter. And also Joan. And Dal. And also the grandmother. The grandmother doesn't... She's never in it, though. I mean, she's like a dead body. Nice 50-50. Alright, so I guess a two and a half? Well, I don't know. Maybe just an N.A. because it just doesn't touch it. Alright, okay. But then the whole... Wait, then the movie is unscored. I feel oh, like no. these movies were not focusing on really any of these moments except for disability. Um, well, I think maybe, like, they deal with... <laughs> listen to us reevaluating our bitch movies Yeah, we're, as like, we very confused. Um, I think maybe they deal with, like, I think... It, Midsommar, I feel like, is very much about allowing women to process grief loudly. And, like, allowing women to take up space. Yeah, and Hereditary is about, like, what happens to a family unit um, who, one, is, like, suffering from a collective um, hereditary, like, mental illnesses, and then also, like, when a family is thrown into grief, the horrible ways we act out uh, to each other. And I think that, like, is so rooted in interpersonal stuff. Uh, And the really, like, the only thing is the thing we talked about, which was, like, disability and, like, the weird way that's portrayed. Yeah. So maybe, like, Hereditary is our first, like, unbitch meterable movie. It's our unrankable movie. We can take it out of the bitch meter. It doesn't register on the bitch meter because it's special. Yeah. But that being said, you could have cast non-white actors. You could have cast non-slim actors. You could have done that. So, Ari, if you're listening. You could have. For a dollar. I still stand behind our Midsommar. Yeah, Midsommar makes sense. Um... For queer, we gave it an NA because again, it's not doing anything with with the gay people. For gender, gender, we gave it a three. Um, lots of like enforcement of gender roles in the cult. Um, there are a lot of men. A lot of men. Danny is just surrounded by men, like so many men. But it gets a plus one for being about women taking and up and all space the and women stuff. Guy has said. 
Yes. And for all the women's. Um, for race, for we gave it ladies. a one because Chidi from The Good Place is in it, and then that Indian girl is in it, and her boyfriend is also a person of color. Um, but they all do die, and then a white woman is the last one alive, and she's indoctrinated into the cult filled with white people. Um, so I guess like a one. Uh, <laughs> disability. We gave it a minus one because of his weird disabled people thing. Why yeah. do you do this? Why Ari? do you do this, Ari? Um. Which gives us a final score of 4 out of 10, which is, like, four not so ten. great. You could have like, done better. You could have done better. Um, I mean, the movie's fantastic, so I guess we this is a good moment to, like, iterate that this is not about, like, quality, but is about inclusivity and representation. Let's get to Harris's hot take. Oh, my God. Hello. Hello, Harris. Hi. What's your hot take on Midsommar and Hereditary? Oh, both of them at the same time? Yeah, I mean, you can do one and the other. <laughs> I mean, I love them. I love those horror movies. I like Midsommar more um, because yeah, I think more horror movies should take everyday like things that aren't necessarily scary, like the daytime, and make them terrifying. Yes. Um, and Hereditary, I was actually a little disappointed in because I kept on hearing that it was like an allegory for mental illness, uh, like being passed down in the family. And as a person who has a lot of mental illness in their family, it just, some, for some reason, didn't connect with me. And I, although I did mention that I love Tony Collette mm. in a previous episode of Bitch Why, I have to admit that I thought her performance in Hereditary was a bit too much and kind of theatrical and too campy. But I do love her. Wow. I get that, actually. Okay, is that good? I, I have to... No, that was great. Tell that was I great. Guys, says they love you. I, I love, love you, I too. I love you, guys. I love you, Nita. Mwah. Um, okay. Safe. You, too. Okay. Bye. Bye. It's closing time. <laughs> That's a... I mean, like, hot, very hot take. Um, Incredibly hot. We have two differing spicy, opinions. Uh, Phil and Harris. Incredible the the showdown of the century um amazing what are you <laughs> working on gaia we're i'm writing a film i'm starting it soon and i'm very excited about it and um stay tuned i'm so what proud you of on? you i wrote a short film and i ah we're doing the same thing i wrote a short film it's filming in new york in in a month um and it's um it's an internship with bryce dallas howard Oh, which is very wild and wacky and like that's my life so that's cool um i'm also for the podcast running the bitch why horror franchise bracket so all of Oct- the rest of october i'm doing a franchise bracket and then whichever franchise wins like y'all better vote for it if you want us to cover it um we'll we're gonna do a it. bonus episode um there's a ton on there the brackets on the instagram i'm did a really good job with the design so please <laughs> please she please did go. i did so please go follow instagram. speaking of instagram speaking of instagram yes you can follow me on twitter and instagram at nitha underscore thadani t-h-a-d-a-n-i and you can follow me on instagram at gaia rose river and you can follow the bitch why podcast uh, at Bitch Why Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and you can email us at b.tchwhy at gmail.com. Like, write us an essay if you want. We'll, we'll read, read it. it a month we'll later. And, and cry. Um, please, please, 
leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or the other things that you get podcasts on Google Podcasts. Google. All of the resources reference will be in the show notes. Thanks to our editor and co-producer Cameron and our graphic designer Jillian. And that's it. Good night. And that's it. Good night, bitches. Good night. <laughs>